All right, folks, I'm Adrian Manns. Market's just closing, so here's how I'm gonna do this. I'm recording this ahead of time. I find that people never really ask any questions to begin with, so I'm just gonna go and, and do this presentation for you at a time of day that makes sense for me. I don't like to do these during the trading day for obvious reasons. We're trading for a living and, and uh, I can't really take away from that to do, uh, to do this stuff, but I can really get into a really great strategy with you that talks about how we're going to trade the open. So, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. My wife, Julie, and I have been trading together forever. I want to give you a little bit of background on who we are and sort of where we came from, and then we'll go ahead and get right into our presentation for today. That's us. That's the lovely Julie there in the picture with me. I'm a lucky guy. Um, been doing this forever. We started trading in 1997. Actually, probably 1996 was the first time that uh, you know we were active, but we're not going to count anything until 97 because that's when we decided we had just graduated. We finished our PhDs at the Claremont Graduate University, so we're both uh, PhDs in psychology. Mine is organizational behavior. Julie's a social psychology. We really focus most on behavioral finance. That's where we were really focusing our attention back then. I've also got an MBA in international business and finance, and, and behavioral finance was just a really good outlet in psychology for us because we were able to go and gather data. We were able to just find lots of psychological tie-ins to what goes on in the market. So if you've been trading for any length of time, what you should know is if there's a war room anywhere, it's between your ears. And what happens over the course of a session is that your thoughts and your biases and all the things that make you who you are, the, the things that focus your attention, the things that make you feel confident, the things that make you feel afraid, those are the things that are going to come into play when you're trading. And for us, trading has always been about isolating where the opportunities are and what the populace, if you will, on the other side, what the herd mentality is going to be regarding what we're looking at. And that's really what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to get into a strategy that I've talked about quite a bit. I've written about quite a bit. Um, you know, I've, I've published this in, in a lot of articles that I've, that I've done. I've published this in a couple of books that I wrote. I've, I've really gone to town with this particular strategy, but there, there's a lot of things that we do, right? There's about 10 strategies that go all the way back to when we first started doing this. And honestly, we just really haven't ever changed course. We've been doing the same thing since we started. And again, when we first did this, if you think about where those photos were, it was on the New York Stock Exchange. And when we first started trading, a lot of what we were focusing on was, you know, what was going on behind the scenes? What could you do with the data that you were able to pull from all of these ticks and all of these things that were, were publicly available? You had to pay for them, right? But in grad school, you're all about data. You want to pull down the data. My, my major professor, Peter Drucker, was very big on you want to, you know, you're only as good as the data. You're only good as good as what you're analyzing. And for us, what that meant was pulling in a lot of market data that revolved around how, how things were going to react under certain circumstances. So when, when we looked at the floor, the thing about the NYSE that appealed to us back then was there was one person on the other side of every trade. There's a specialist, a designated market maker today. They don't call him a specialist anymore. But the specialist was the guy who was in charge of one particular stock. And 
the fact that there was one person on the other side of every one of these trades made this great for a couple of psychologists because in, in viewing behavioral finance, what you're trying to get at is what is the reaction going to be based on the inputs. So based on the data that somebody's given, how are they going to react? And and in a lot of cases, you know, it was it was definitely right out there that you could count on a certain specialist to handle order flow a certain way. So there's a guy, Jason, who traded uh, uh, Jason Coles and Disney and uh, Harley Davidson. I think he had Polaris and and you know he, he was making markets in these stocks and you could you could get to know how that person in that position on that particular poll at the New York Stock Exchange how they were going to handle the order flow when they were the buyer and seller of last resort when they were just managing their book and all of this stuff fed into the theories that we put together that told us this is how we expect the market to react under certain circumstances and that was what led to the book Around the Horn, A Trader's Guide to Consistently Scoring in the Markets. That was the first thing that I put out there for sort of wider consumption. That was originally called a multivariate analysis of covariance in the United States equities market. So very academic paper and the publisher was quick to point out that unless my mother bought all the copies, they were probably not going to fly off the shelves with a title like that. So I went through and I stripped out some of the really hardcore statistics and I, I changed everything to an analogy. And the analogy was baseball and different things that happen in baseball. So there's a pattern called fastball. It's a fastball expansion of range and volume. And I've got a whole thing built around sort of how I trade those. And that's still one of the cornerstones of our business, if not the cornerstone of our business. But there were also other trades in there that that relied on statistics. And I know a lot of your engineers, so the one that I'm gonna focus on today is a statistical trade. So this is one that we do live in our trading room every day with our guys. So we've got a lot of guys who have been through our boot camp. So we've got an, uh, a boot camp thing that we do twice a year. We only take 20 people at each one. We're not a big production shop or anything. We, we are very, very focused on when we do things with other people. We want to do these as intimate kinds of events where we know everybody, everybody knows us, everybody knows they can pick up the phone and call us. And we do a lot of stuff that's based around those two events with our guys. So we, we only work with about 40 people a year in that live setting. We also do, as I said, a live trading room in the mornings. There's a bunch of the guys who have been through the training in there. We're in there and we talk about this trade that I'm going to talk to you about today. We've also done some television stuff. Hopefully we'll be back in 2024. This is a program called Trader Nation where, you know, we get into just an in-depth view of the psychology of what it takes to trade. We do interviews with top traders, we talk about alternative investments, we talk market strategy, and then we've got a whole segment called America Asks, where people send us in some uh, questions, you know, just a, a uh, shoot it on your iPhone kind of a thing, and then send us a question and we'll answer it. And it's been a lot of fun. I don't know if it'll be back. I think it'll be back. We're hoping, you know, there was this writer strike and the writer strike really made a dent. It is a, a scripted show technically, so that was that was the problem and um, we're going to see if, if a network picks it up again or if, if we are gone and we'll be on the internet or something at that point, I guess. But, you know, it's all been trader psychology for us for a very long time. We, we trade our own account. 
We're very in tune with our psychology. I publish a bunch of trading plans. So the, the trading plans that I publish and the things that we do in our trading room is everything revolves around trader psychology. And you know, we develop these plans because these are comfortable for us. These are in our comfort zone. And when we started, as I said, it was all the New York Stock Exchange. That's, that's where we were trading everything. It was a big thing for us to even add the NASDAQ because when we first started looking at it, that was the Wild West. That was like trading pink sheets or you know, trading the penny stocks today or trading Forex or whatever it is, Bitcoin. And you know, over time, NASDAQ, of course, became very much like everything else. And it's an ECN driven market and it's very liquid. And, and you know, as things were co-listed and all this kind of stuff, it became very easy for us to shift gears and add NASDAQ to what we're doing. We don't do options. We do futures. We, we do futures trading. A lot of our guys do options on the stuff that, that we teach and the stuff that we do, these trading plans. Um, but ultimately, you know, trading affords us the luxury of also being able to teach. And we have a lot of things that we teach in our academy classes, in our um, mastery classes, and in our live events that we do. And we love doing that stuff. I love seeing people. Internet's not necessarily my favorite venue because I love to have an audience in front of me. I love to be able to sort of see people's faces and see, you know, what it is they're thinking or what it is that uh, uh, is registering for them and what maybe isn't, right? What's clear, what isn't clear. But that aside, I'll say that you know everything comes down to a tight plan. So what you'll see today is that even a plan that comes together on the fly, like this opening gap thing that I'm going to talk to you about, this statistical plan, is very well thought out ahead of time and we know exactly what we're going to do before we do it. That's the major criteria for everything that we do. Like we're not trying to shoot from the hip. I do some scalping. I did some scalping in NVIDIA today. I'll do some scalping in NVIDIA again tomorrow, right? It's, it's always, that's always on deck. That's part of our Magnificent Seven course that we just put out. It's a great place to go and learn how to trade the things that are actually moving the markets. But just bear in mind, everything is thought out ahead of time. And this trading plan that you're looking at here, this one goes all the way back to 1997 and we've got all the records of this thing on the site you can go through and pick apart this is just an example of what the the output on it looks like you can see for each individual month and then for each year you can see exactly what happened inside of each one of the patterns how did each one of the things from around the horn trade what did it do where did it wind up for the year where did it wind up for the month, the week, you know, whatever you want to look at the data, it's still data driven, just like it was at the beginning. And it's important to have your finger on the pulse of that stuff, because this is what's going to tell you whether you're introducing selection bias into your trading or whether you're trading your plan, whether you're following your discipline. Now there's a lot to be said for the way that you handle the discipline on any given day. And, you know, we run across the same issues with traders today that we did back in the 1990s. When I started this whole thing, I thought, man, I'm going to trade for a living. And then at one o'clock Pacific time, we live out in, in California, right? We're on the West Coast. We're in, in Pacific Palisades, uh, in Malibu, uh, California, that area. And we're up early. And I thought, you know what? When the market closes at one o'clock, I'm going to go surfing or 
I'm going to deal with clients and talk psychology because psychology is something that we love to talk about. And you know what we found out early on was psychology was not necessarily something traders wanted to focus on. These guys just wanted they always want to talk strategy, not psychology. Yet the problems that people experience are pretty much consistent. It's been you know they won't pull the trigger on a trade. So a trade gets up in front of them. They've been planning to do the trade, and then it'll hit the entry price. And then the logic is, you know what, I'm going to wait for confirmation on this. I'm going to wait for the confirmation. And then when the confirmation comes by the way of, you know, get moving through that entry price, well, you know, I don't want to take it here because now I've got a big slip. There's going to be major slippage if I take it now that I've got the confirmation. So I'm going to wait for it to come back to my entry price and then I'll take it. And then when it comes back to their entry price, they'll say, well, you know what, now it's moving against the position. Now that, you know, I'm looking to go long, now this thing's going down, and, you know, I don't want to catch a falling knife, and here it is at my entry price, and I'm not going to take, and then it goes, and of course hits the profit objective. That's what happens every time that, you know, you fall into that line of thinking. And there's a lot of self-sabotage that goes on. There's a lot of things that make people then feel like they don't know what they're doing, or they're never going to know what they're doing. And these things, you know, they, they follow through over the course of a day, pretty consistently just across the board. So I know it's common sense, but you've seen it happen a million times, right? What feels good? Winning. So what do people do? They'll cut their winners short. Now, conventional wisdom would say, always let your, let your winners run and cut your losers short. Winning feels good. Losing feels bad. Basic psychology, what happens is people will let their losers run because they don't want to take the loss. Well, it'll come back. If it just gets back to break even, I'll get out. And then when it gets back to break, even well, I don't want to leave money on the table, right? So then, then you know, the next thing is now they're waiting for it to, to make a profit. And then when it doesn't make a profit, when it gets back to break even and reverses on them again, now they're back in that same boat of having to take a loss. And it very, very quickly will leave people feeling like they don't know what they're doing. And, you know, it, you can just go right down the list of what happens and... I've seen guys who take a lot of unplanned trades because they think they're going to get even with the market, right? We call that revenge trading. Something just went badly. Well, if, you know, if I got out for a loss, then it must be going in the other direction. So I'm going to go ahead and pop in in the other, in the other direction. I was long and I'll be short and then the short starts going against them and now they're long again. So they got all these unplanned trades and in the end, it's very easy to feel like you just don't ever know what the heck you're doing. So let's take a look at the list here of things that I think are pretty common. I've talked about a bunch of them, but you know, a couple of the other ones, adding to a losing position and holding trades for a home run, reducing position size after a loss. Those things all sort of feed into the same psychology. So you had a losing position, you're in it, now you're moving towards your stop. Well, I'm just gonna take a bunch more shares here and I'm on a dollar cost average down and I'm really close to the stop. So you know, if I hit the stop, then I'll be able to, uh, uh, close out with a small stop on the rest of it or small loss on the rest of it. And if it goes in my favor, then, oh, by the time it gets back to the entry price, I'll be in the money. That's, that's building a position on hope or what Wall Street likes to call a portfolio. It's the same kind of a thing as holding trades for a home run. If you've got a plan on the, on the table and the plan says this is the entry, this is the exit, and you don't take the exit because now you think it's going to, well, it's going in my favor, so I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to hold this and I'm going to hold it overnight and I'm, I'm an intraday trader, but I'm going to go ahead and keep it overnight. Then we know that story has a beginning and an end and a bunch of stuff in the middle that you're absolutely going to hate. So my position on this is I always keep my position size the same. 
I don't think that you know reducing things after a loss is necessarily good practice. I think reducing things based on not being able to maintain the psychology, that's a different story. So if, if you find yourself trading, I don't know, 500 or 1,000 shares or, or whatever it is you're trying to do, and all of a sudden you see that, man, I am just so uncomfortable all day long that I can't do things right, then it's a good idea to reduce position size or go in paper trade. There's nothing wrong with paper trading just to see, am I comfortable with the discipline? If I see this enough times, will I be able to do it in a way that makes me a living, that makes me money trading? But, you know, I think that wrapping your head around the fact that your psychology is going to be your, your greatest ally or your worst enemy, that is probably half of this game. So, you know, I'm going to take a look also at workflow because I think workflow is super important. Like we know exactly what we're going to do. Over my, my right shoulder here is a couple monitors. Those monitors are trades that I pre-program before the opening bell. So all I have to do is look at those occasionally just to make sure that the program is running right. Over my left shoulder, I've got the, my uh, QQQ trade and my, my futures trade that I do sort of over the course of the session so that when I wait for the market to settle in a bit and once the market has settled, I start looking for opportunities in the NQ based on price action in the triple Q. And then up above that, there's a monitor that has Apple. I've got a trade in Apple that I do every morning. It's an arbitrage trade based on what goes on in the options markets, based on what the market makers are doing. So all of our bootcamp guys know that order flow over the course of the day is what we're trading and that workflow is the thing that we do to control our emotions and figure out you know where we're going to be as the day goes on now off to the left here is a monitor that contains what i call the baltimore chop setups that's what we're going to talk about today in terms of strategy and those happen right after the first five minutes of trading it seems like a lot it's not let's look at what this workflow looks like it's right here we've got effectively we've got these four things that we work with over the course of the day. We've got NYSE program trades, NAS program trades, opening gap reversions, and then order flow. And the way these things fit together is we know exactly what we're going to do at each part of the day. So in the pre-market, we're programming up our uh, program trade in XRV, it's called, it's a strategy that I have, and the around the horn trading plan trades. So those NYSE trades, those are going live, those are going on the book for us. The program trades and the NASDAQ stuff, those are going on the book for us. And that stuff gets loaded up before we get an opening bell. When the opening bell happens, we execute the NASDAQ opening trade specifically. That one is the Apple trade. Once we're up, up to once we're up to the five minute mark, we go and trade our opening gap trade, the Baltimore chop. And then after the first hour, we go through, we monitor those automated trades and we monitor the NASDAQ and monitor what's going on with the triple Qs in terms of, you know, how can we get trades off in the futures contract? And that's only because it, it frees up capital and you can trade the futures with very minimal capital and we control the risk the same way that we would on the stock. So it's a good way to control risk looking at the QQQs and it's a good way to control your cash situation, your margin situation by trading it against the uh, futures contract. So we're looking to isolate volatility all day long. All day we want to determine our bias and more than 
anything else, I want to limit decision making. So I want to see that things are trading with enough volatility to be profitable. I want to know is my bias long or short and I'm putting that puzzle together by looking at a number of things. I'm looking at the markets, I'm looking at uh, you know, a heat map of the market, is, you know, what sector am I trading in, what's, what's happening with other stocks in the sector and make sure that if I'm looking for a position on the long side that the market is ready to defend the long position. If I'm looking for a position on the short side, same thing. I want to make sure the market's in agreement and I want to limit my decision making over the course of the day. I want to plan everything ahead of time and then I want to get into these positions based on those plans. Now the specific trade that we're going to talk about today is what's called Baltimore Chop. And I will show you why in a second here. It's a 2SD gap reversal. Should have called this like Manza's 2SD gap reversals. I guess I still could. This is different than the, the bands that you normally see on a screen, the Bollinger Bands. This is based on volatility. So what we're doing here, you'll, you'll appreciate if, if you trade opening gaps, is we're taking gaps and by limiting it to gaps that are two standard deviations of volatility, we are seeing to it that we're going to constrain volatility enough that we know where we are on the probability distribution. We're going to have a 95% confidence interval that says something that we can anticipate is about to happen. Now, the reason I called it Baltimore Chop in my baseball analogy was there was an old trick that the Baltimore Orioles used. And when they had a guy who was too slow to get on base, but he was a relatively good hitter, what they had him do was spike the ball down to the ground, pop it over the pitcher's head, and by the time they were able to field that ball, the slow runner was on first base. And for us, this is very similar in the way that it looks to what these opening gaps look like. Now you can, you can do the calculations um, a number of different ways. I've got a uh, downloadable article for you that you can read over uh, after the, the presentation here where you can see exactly you know, what goes into doing this. I've changed it over the years to a true range model. It used to be the implied volatility of the front month contract for every stock on the exchange. And then we developed the two SD bands around that. But the reality is, if you look at range, range is just the high minus the low. And regular range would say that, you know, if this is the high price and this is the low price, if you subtract that low from the high, then what you come up with is the range. So if the high was $50.10 and the low was $49.40, you had $0.70 cents worth of range for the day. Problem with that is it doesn't give you a good indication of the volatility of the stock. Specifically, when you're doing statistics, you always want to look at the thing that you're actually interested in measuring. That should be the thing that you are doing your statistical manipulation on. So true range is a little bit different. So I don't know if you guys know exactly what it is, but we're just going to talk about it for a second. True range is going to be the greater value of either the range, just the high minus the low, or the absolute value of the high minus the previous close, or the absolute value of the low minus the previous close. So what that gives you is range plus it accounts for gaps. So when you're looking at the previous day's closing price and you're looking at today's high, your true range in this case, the high was $50.10, close of the previous day, $49. Then you had $1.10 of true range for the day. And when you take that number, it works out very, very well. We've, we've gone through and we've done statistical manipulations to figure it out. It is as valid as using the implied volatility for the calculation. And all of this 
gets plugged into a model that has some assumptions. Statistics always has assumptions. And the most important one is that you're dealing with a normal distribution. And what I can tell you for sure is volatility is normally distri distributed. True range is a very good proxy for volatility and volatility is mean reverting. And what that means is you've got a bunch of data. In the middle of the data, you've got your mean. That's a bell-shaped curve. All you guys know what a bell-shaped curve is. That's a normal distribution, standard normal distribution, right? It falls under the bell-shaped curve. You've heard that before. If you go out one standard deviation from the mean, you've accounted for 68.2% of all the volatility that you're going to expect to see. Now you're going to expect to see things move back toward the average, not to the average, not beyond the average. We're not looking to close gaps. You're just saying, I've got a 68.2% probability that price is going to revert back toward that central tendency, that mean. If I go out two standard deviations, things get a little bit better. Now I've accounted for more than 95% of what I'm expecting to see in terms of moving away from an average. And now I've got a 95% probability distribution around that mean that what's going to happen is once I get extended, away from the mean, these red balloons are those periods of high volatility, then what I'm expecting is that I'm going to get this mean reversion, which is a move back toward that average, back toward that central tendency. And it's a very simple formula. You're just, for a standard deviation, for you know what's one standard deviation, you're just going through and you're taking each day's true range, that's where you see that X, right? X 1 through 10. We're going to do two weeks worth of true range data minus the average. So the average of those 10 days, so you add them all up, divide them by 10, that's the average, and then take each one of them and subtract the average, then you square it to get rid of a negative number, and you divide it by n minus 1. n is the number of days, 10. 10 minus 1 gives you, takes care of your degrees of freedom if you're a statistical person, and what that gives you then is one standard deviation. So right, if you plug in these numbers in, if these are the numbers that you're dealing with, you're plugging these 10 numbers in for x 1 through 10, and then you're getting an average of 1.25, add them all up, and then when you do these calculations, you're going 10 minus 1, and then what you're coming up with is one standard deviation is 49 cents, so two standard deviations would be 98 cents. You add that to that average of $1.25, so now you're at $2.23. If this particular stock gaps $2.23 on any given day, then what you know is you've got a two standard deviation move away from the mean and you have a very high probability that you're going to move back toward the average. So why did I call it Baltimore Chop? Because to me, it looks a heck of a lot like that guy spiking the ball. So if these are five minute bars and the four bars on the left side of the chart are yesterday's close, and then we get this move lower, what we're going to do is as that thing spikes lower, we're going to follow it down. And our goal is, in the case of a long trade, when we get to the deepest bar in the gap, so the high of a bar winds up being the lowest high in the initial half hour of trading. We only do these for the first 30 minutes of the trading day. But when we find one that gets down like that, then what we're saying is we treat this sort of like a pullback. And we just say above the high of that bar is where we're going to want to get long. And then I'm going to target order flow in that first bar of trading. The first bar of trading was the heaviest trading of the day. It's going to be incredible volume right on the open on a big gap especially if these are happening on earnings. Earnings are always overblown. And doesn't this whole thing then remind you 
as you're looking for that profit target back up in the sky there and you're getting in on that low punch the whole thing looks just like that Baltimore chop that the Orioles did you know back the classic Orioles not the new Orioles the uh, the Orioles of yesteryear uh, did when they were playing baseball so that's that's what I want to show you in terms of the ideal setup now you can get the whole article about how this thing works and I'm gonna get into some examples here so that we don't have to get too much more into the nitty-gritty of how to set up the indication but the whole article on it you can get by texting the word gap to 310-299-9148 so again you're gonna text the word gap G-A-P to 310-299-9148 and then you'll be able to download the article so what I'd like to do now is take a look at a couple of examples and then go through and look at the recording of one of our Magnificent Seven stocks, Amazon, as it made this gap move just the other day in our first hour trading room. So let's look at a, a short entry and talk about uh, sort of the parameters of the trade and how this thing comes together. You can see here we've got a stock that gapped higher. And what we're looking for is to say as it moves into that one, two, three progression, as price starts moving higher each time that we get a new low in this case we're going to plan to short the stock on a violation of the low so when we get the deepest low in place i just snap lines and i'm just always putting together bracket orders for these things and the bracket order can be adjusted then by pulling the line so in the particular software that i'm using that's real tick it is very chart trader friendly. You can move lines around and, and trade with those lines. But in this case, we've got the highest low as our short sale threshold. And what I would do here is my order's placed. My order was placed in the bar before. You know, you never know where that highest low is going to be, but you're just putting the order in and then you drag that line around and you know each time, okay, if I violate this low, I'm going to get short. And we can see on the right side of the chart, somebody's going to ask what these are. These are volume by price. This is a cluster analysis of volume by price. So I've gone through and I've done some programming and set up a, a set of things with these guys years ago. And it's still part of the software suite. And you can just go through and you can see here where are the important thresholds in what's going on in the pricing of the market. And when we look at that cluster analysis, what that gives us is confluence. It tells us there's an overlap between this area that we're looking to get short and an area that there was a big spike in volume that actually wound up reversing price. So we know we've got a pretty good spot there for our short sale. Then our target, we're basing on something important that happened in the first bar of trading. And you can see here that the low of that first bar also lined up very nicely. So we saw it created a lot of demand that was a place where price spiked. We know that if price gets to that level, it's highly likely that we're going to get a reversal back to the upside again. So when we got here, we saw price spike way up into here. And if that happens again, I don't want to be part of it. So that's my profit objective is on the way to that line, pretty close to that actual threshold level, but on the way to that line is where I'm going to look to get back out of the trade for a profit. 
And again, right, we look at our VBP, we look at the volume by price data. If you have it, great. If you don't have it, you can use volume profile. You can use uh, straight up just uh, volume by price in a lot of software is just presented as a histogram on the right side, much like the histogram down on the x-axis gives you volume by time. All that stuff is good just to have in place and to be ready to just glance at and say, am I getting confirmation of the plan that I'm putting together? So we've got an entry. We've got a target. We've got a stop loss that's based on moving above that bar too high. You can see there, once we're in, the second bar of the day really was the one that let this thing loose and let it pop to the upside. And if we get up above the high of that second bar, we violated a bunch of things, right? So we've got up above a high that was a significant high. We have our uh, cluster analysis that says there's going to be ease of motion above that stop, above that line. There was very little that held it back from popping way up into the, the ultimate high of the morning. So if we get to that level, we don't want to be in that trade. And that's really the way that, you know, you're putting these things together over the course of the session based on the data that you've had so far, how can you go through and say, this is a logical way to structure this thing. It's not shooting from the hip. It's not firing off a bunch of trades. It's saying, this is what logic says is going to happen. I know I've got a 95% probability that if I start making this reversion move this morning, because I'm two standard deviations out from my volatility, I've got a 95% probability that I'm gonna move back towards the average volatility, back towards my average. It's always gonna be about the average, trying to get back down into the range. Doesn't say I'm gonna close a gap, doesn't say anything in particular is gonna happen, it just says I'm moving back toward not being so extended. And I can then manage this position very easily on my five minute chart, because as I said, I've got a short sale threshold, I've got my stop loss, I know exactly where it is, I know what it's based on, it's based on, I've got confirmation from volume by price, I've got confirmation from uh, price action after that level was hit earlier in the session, I've got a target, again, based on the same thing, there's total logic behind it, I know that the last time price came down to that level, it found buyers, and if it finds buyers again, that's gonna act against my short position, so I know exactly that if I hit that level, I wanna get out and I don't care if it keeps going. I don't care that it wound up down even further. The short would have been better if you would have kept it on. Yeah, but coulda, woulda, shoulda is not a game you wanna play when you're trading. It's plan the trade, trade the plan, move on to the next thing in your workflow. That's the secret to success. So you can put this together as a bracket order. And as I said, those brackets are gonna pop up on the screen as lines. And you can see we've got our entry threshold. That's the stop price. So where do we wanna activate this trade? We want the trade to activate. If we're trading above that, we want to trade 97.52, boom, the trade's active. Our limit is 97.48. These are, these are tight spreads on these things because they're very, very liquid. There's a lot of trading going on. If you see one of these pop up and it doesn't have a tight spread, move on to the next one. There's always a bunch of opportunities in these. And if today is a day where there's only one opportunity and it's got a big wide spread on it, then pass. Just, I'm not gonna look at it. I'm gonna go and look at something else, wait for the next thing in my workflow because I know that the difference between that stop price and the limit price, that slip is the worst price that I'm willing to accept and it's ultimately gonna make a difference in my bottom line, in my ability to control a loss or reap a target. We've got our 
We've got everything set up ahead of time. You can see the, the bracket is already taken care of. It's gonna take me out at 100% of my position. If it goes and hits the stop loss, it's gonna take me out for 100% of the position if it hits my target. And I can tell exactly what my potential profit, my potential loss are gonna be on the trade just based on how the trade is put together before it executes. So I'm not doing anything on the fly. I'm planning everything before I get into this position. And what that does is manages to put you in front of the opportunity for profit. So I've showed you an idealized uh, chart of what a long position would look like, right? The, the deeper highs. I've showed you an actual chart of a short side trade, sort of an idealized example so we could go through it slowly and talk about where the entry thresholds are and all that stuff and, and you know how to manage the trade with the bracket order and all that. And what I'd like to do now is show you a recording of the Amazon trade that we did so that you can see how the logic sort of unfolds in real time. I'm gonna speed it up a little bit because you know real time can, can be a little bit trying on some of these things, but I think that once you see it in action, you'll see why it's a really great trade to be in front of. All right, so let's take a look. All right, guys, so here it is. We just had Amazon trigger, so this is a one, two, three setup from our scanner this morning. Um, you know, pretty classic. It's a Magnificent 7 stock, so it's on our list anyway. So there's a bunch of stuff from that Magnificent 7 trading course that you should recognize. And of course, right now, we've got a pullback up into the bar that's creating the trigger on the Baltimore chop. So as usual, there's a couple opportunities to enter these things. Here is the, uh, you know, 170.48 threshold level. And, you know, as we get down into the trading range here, there's a couple things to consider. The first is, where's the stop? I'm going to say the bar that created the setup, that infield fly bar, that pretty much gives us a good place to rest a stop. So up above the high of that bar, I think is a is a suitable stop out, especially since, um, you know, this trigger bar here is staying shy of, of retracing into the range at all. And it is coming down into the, the anticipated travel range for where the important action is that's gonna determine what a target is. So if you look at the first bar of trading over here, we don't know just by looking at it after the first five minutes, we don't know a whole lot about this drop. What we do know is this level right here had an incredible amount of volume that obviously sent price higher and that the move higher was accelerated once we got down to a retest of the second bar. So the second bar comes down, it retests that opening price, as you see right there, and then things just shoot to the upside. What we know right now is we don't want to be a part of any kind of repeat of what happened right here. So we don't want to have a repeat performance of that opening retracement. And we know that if we get down to this opening tick, that that gets us pretty much into the, the area that we expect to see an inflection at. And that makes that a really good place then to say, that's where we're going to call it. That's where we're going to look for an exit on the trade. And that's where we would take our profit. Other than that, I mean, the morning is trading sort of the way that it's it's been going. We've got lots of stuff that's moving, moving higher today on earnings announcements. Earnings, of course, are the thing that we want to focus on these Baltimore chops on because earnings are the things that have the best 
probability for a mean reversion. So when you get things that are news driven or event driven, you know, say uh, a CEO is stepping down or a CFO is stepping down or there's some kind of a scandal, somebody embezzled money or somebody committed a crime or somebody did, you know, some other thing that is going to going to change the character of the company that's going to change the way the company operates, those things don't fall into what you would call the typical drivers of mean reversion. So mean reversion happens in a normal distribution. Remember, we were talking about normal, uh, normally distributed data, normal distributions. And to be normally distributed, what we're looking for is something that doesn't have some kind of an event shock. When you're looking at earnings, generally speaking, earnings tend to drive price a little bit further in either direction, either up or down than they should. So if you took a company like Amazon and you looked at their earnings announcements and then you looked at the the forward projection for, all right, well, if the earnings are at X level today versus the anticipated earnings, which were at Y level yesterday, and you know, so we, we got a surprise. How much was that surprise? Did that surprise justify a $10 increase in the price or a $12 increase in the price of the stock? And what would it really take for the stock to maintain that momentum over the long run? That's data that you can expect to see when it's out in one of the tails of the distribution. You're out there in the 95% confidence interval of the mean. That's the data you can expect to drive back into price and give us what we just got here, our profit objective on this trade. Where it goes from here is not about anticipating something further happening. Because don't forget, when you come back, as you come back from two standard deviations and you start moving your way back toward one standard deviation and then back toward the mean, the probability of any kind of movement starts going down. So at first you're at 95%, right? And then you move down into the 60s and then you move down into the 50s and the 40s and the 30s. So your best, your best chance for a mean reversion is when you're extended as far as you think something's going to go and the best way to anticipate whether or not you've extended as far as you're going to go is by looking for one of these pattern entries around the horn pattern end. so just bear all this in mind and think about this in the context of the baltimore chop setup think about it in the context of that magnificent seven trading course that a lot of you have been working on and you know just always bear this stuff in mind and keep it as a as a, a backdrop against what you're doing. The market, market's not looking at how much you'd like to make. The market's not looking at how much you're willing to lose. The market is a very, very mechanical beast. And if you follow it, if you respect what the price is telling you, if you look at the places that momentum has exerted itself, at the places that momentum has stopped, then what you can do is handicap where price is going to move in the very near-term future. And you can make decisions and act on those decisions based on that information that's in front of you. You can get things objective. You can plan the trade. You can trade the plan. And you can follow through on all of this stuff. As price now has moved back up. So the, the first takeaway here is we really managed to pick our profit. And the profit objective was right on the money. And it made total sense. When price hit that objective, what happened? It went and reversed and it did exactly what we thought it was going to do. It has now moved back up again. And now we've had a retest of that area that gave us this infield fly bar. And now we're getting another check of 
whether or not price is going to be able to break through there or is it going to move back down again and this is where the magnificent seven stuff comes into play because if you had the things that we talked about in that course the things that we've been talking about here in the room every day if you had all that stuff lined up then you were ready for this reaction move when it happened and now you've got the opportunity to have shorted at this threshold level and you're targeting this level right here because most likely you're not trying to get back down into this tail again you're either trying to get right into these opens closes highs low right everything that lines up right here or you might say well i'm going to try to get back down into the original target that i had on the baltimore chop setup that's the extension the safer target the easier target is up here around this open and this close on this double header setup so everything everything is lining up exactly the way that you would expect it to based on what we've been working on and if you're looking at this through those lenses then what you've done is you've taken a lot of this drudgery of having the watch list of stocks and you've got a hundred stocks you're gonna watch I watch seven right I'm not watching a hundred stocks you've got those seven stocks and they're lined up and you've got your QQQ and your NQ and that stuff is lined up and you've got everything that you need then to go and, and set up your trading business in a way that you can manage the workflow, you can manage your expectancy, and you can keep this stuff so that it's under control and it doesn't make you feel like, oh my God, I've got to flip through this chart. I've got to flip through these you know 50 charts. I've got to figure out what's, what's hot, what's not. I've got to find stocks that are you know $6 a share. I've got to find stocks that are $60 a share. I've got to find all these things that a lot of people are looking for all day with these hot lists. And instead of making this so stressful, you're just waiting for the things that you are accustomed to trading. It's not that hard to get to seven. You're, you're waiting for the things that you're used to watching every day to behave the way that they behave on days that you're able to profit from them. And when they do, when everything lines up, you put your business together in a way that you know what you're going to do before you do it. You have an anticipation of what a positive outcome looks like. You have the anticipation of what a negative outcome looks like. Your expectancy is based on data. Your expectancy is based on a lot of experience. And, you know, really the excitement of trading, I have never found exciting at all. The things that people talk about as exciting to me are really the equivalent of gambling. And what we want to do here is take the gambling out of it and have an edge that comes from an understanding of the data and an understanding of the dynamics of how markets in particular stocks move and what happens when something goes out into a statistically reliable region of price and price behavior and what we do, how do we react to it, how do we maintain a discipline based around it, and how do we just stay fresh enough that there's no good days, no bad days, they're just days. And every time we step up to the plate, it's a fresh opportunity to take a swing at the ball, and we're not just obsessing over the fact that the last time we struck out or the last time we knocked the cover off the ball, this all just becomes very mechanical and very methodical, all right? So that's Amazon. I hope that everything that we talked about today in the trading pit made sense and that this review is useful and it's something that you can uh, sort of hang your hat on. That's it for me for today. If you would like to join us every day live in the trading pit, see us trade these things. So the, these gaps, as I said, are part of the workflow. So we do these right around the opening bell. You can join us for that. 
you can hang around all day. You can see us trade the gaps. You can participate in the conversations about trading those magnificent seven stocks. We do those every day. We do those all day. And we also trade the QQQ and the NQ, as well as the SPY and ES. So there's lots of stuff going on in the room just each and every trading day. And it's a great community. It's a great bunch of people. We'd love to have you join us. If you want to come in and have a look around, all we need you to do is send an email. You can send it directly to Julie. The lovely Julie will take your email and get you set up with a trial to all of our services so that you can see the trading plans and you can see the room and you can see the opening gap scanner and all that great stuff. And you know, once you're in there, you can talk to us about your trading and talk to us about what you're looking at. Happy to answer questions all through the trading day. And I think it's a great community. And I think that it would be a shame if you didn't take us up on it and come on in and give it a shot. All right. So everything that you need is on the screen there. And hopefully we're going to see you real soon at TraderInsight.com.